0: Hello, I'm Barnaby Anderson and welcome to the latest installment of the Practical Transcendence podcast. As you know, uh, we are on a mission to help people end their argument with life, even when it's challenging, which let's face it, it usually is. (laughs) A central theme to this is forgiveness, which is a sensitive topic we are discussing in today's episode. My friend and esteemed co-host, Mr. Ian Trimmer, will be giving a very personal account of his life-changing and path-altering experiences. It's
1: very nice to be called esteemed, you know. Not often you get called esteemed, but uh, <laughs> that's what happens
0: that when that's what happens when you write the script. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. So. I guess. So. Oh. Yeah. So today we're going to be
1: discussing true forgiveness why we've come to view it as fundamental on the path and uh, some of our experiences on the process. We've discussed previously that the the pull to truth, to presence, and to remaining in presence is what uh, life becomes all about, really, and to truly be is where our heart lies. But this isn't a straightforward or pain-free process. It's one that calls into question and really challenges who and what we think we are. This identity that has been formed and we begin to truly realize that whatever we are holding on to or avoiding continues this state of identification. And this is where ultimately forgiveness fits in. It helps to let go of what we are holding on to and look at and then let go of what we are avoiding. And that is what we mean by forgiveness, ultimately letting go. And I think I've said before on the podcast that, that someone had said to me that those two words could sum up the whole spiritual process, letting go, you know, letting go of all the hurt, letting go of the blame, the judgment, uh, anger, uh, bitterness, the acts of harm that have been to us and those we have done to others and ourselves. And, you know, the act of not acting sometimes as well. I think that gets missed. Before we go a little Deep into that process, though, Barnes, what what are your thoughts on what forgiveness is?
0: Forgiveness is very powerful conceptually and experientially. The way I would define it is forgiveness is the removal of resistance to truth, allowing the experience of flow states to penetrate more deeply and widely. It's not a technique. And I'd like to be very clear on that, because A central theme of this podcast is we're giving a series of techniques to try and help everybody find their individuated, their personal path to enlightenment. Forgiveness is not optional. You will grind to a halt if you don't forgive. Mm. It's a necessary form of spiritual selfishness. It comes from a desire to truly meet yourself without the overlay of endlessly recycling emotive responses, as you've just outlined. Now, I'm not for one moment saying that suffering isn't real and the things that people experience are their own fault and they haven't had very, very unpleasant things done to them. But when you forgive yourself fully or you forgive someone else truly, you aren't solely showing benevolence. You are removing some of the bars of your implicit psychological prison. It is a grandiose act of personal empowerment, not a sacrifice. Yeah,
1: I couldn't agree more with that. Um, Shedding those bars and, and kind of truly meeting yourself as scary as that is, ultimately does lead to to true freedom. Um, so I guess it's a good time to maybe go a little deeper into that process. And um, We've highlighted that there are three aspects to it and expanding a little bit on what you just said, there is forgiveness of what others have done to you, forgiveness of what you have done to others and forgiveness of what you have done to yourself. So that's the kind of structure we will come from for the next part and Let's kind of take the first one um, first. (laughs) So, forgiveness of what others have done to you. Everyone has been hurt or harmed by somebody. You know, maybe a betrayal by a close friend or a colleague, you know, the deep hurt of being bullied as a child, or feeling that your partner has ignored you for many years, not valuing you and the relationship. I'm going to talk a bit about my relationship here with my mum. And I'm doing that as, you know, relationships with our parents and people who have cared for us is universal for all. And there's a level of complexity for most of us in that relationship. And I'm not going to go into too much depth. as you know, This isn't just my story to tell. But my mum has given me permission to talk about what, you know, I think ultimately is relevant for, for this podcast and for, for, for this purpose, really. So... I've felt this strong sense of rejection all of my life, and but uh, p- p- particularly as a child, I've, as a child, sorry, I felt it. You know, it shaped who I am and influenced you know many of my life choices. And that feeling of rejection really started with how my parents treated me, and that sense of rejection appears to be more related to the relationship with my mum. And, you know, I totally accept that it's difficult to know exactly how much truth there is to what level of rejection actually occurred. But I have strong memories of being so. And mainly because of that feeling, I often felt like an outsider in my own family and quite alone in the world and certainly somewhat disconnected from myself. And I developed these coping strategies that really alternated between a more ambivalence to life and relationships and also a somewhat avoidance of life and relationships. And my mum and I have, um, we've always had really a spiky aspect to our relationship. And I think it's because of this. And that feeling of rejection is probably the most painful I have experienced. And it's certainly the most enduring. And I, I think what's helpful about talking about rejection here is that everyone knows what it's like to feel rejection. And we talked in the last podcast about rejection kicking off a kind of freeze-type response, you know, such as uh, fear of talking to someone you're attracted to in a bar. But as we now know from, you know from studies of rejection, prolonged rejection in childhood can have long-lasting negative consequences.
0: Anyway, this is kind of something I, I really had to face. So you hit the bypass or not bypass point, I guess. Uh, <laughs> meditation had started to shake up your shadow side and you were at that stage where you couldn't look away. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, perfectly. That's exactly how you put it. Very much so. You know, I didn't know that until relatively recently or certainly wasn't fully aware of anyway, that this was something I needed to let go of and was fundamental on my path to liberation. And this was one of those parts of myself that lay really hidden from my conscious awareness, despite the fact that it had such a fundamental influence on my life. But as is so often the case on this path, the parts of you that lie hidden slowly have the light of awareness shine on them so you can then ultimately you know, let go of them. And as you just mentioned, and you know yourself, Barnes, as you meditate, as you ask questions, as you become more present, you you start to open up to so many different memories and feelings and thoughts and your perceptions of the world. And in relation to those that require forgiveness, some are relatively easy to let go of. But then you come up against those that are much, much more challenging. And I think part of why rejection came up, along with this greater expansiveness unfolding, was due to the compassion and love I have cultivated for myself through varying compassion practices. In the same way I mentioned on the previous podcast, as with a a level of psychological safety and inner security being needed to be able to progress on the path, self-compassion and love is needed to help contain the difficulties that arise and it also helps to soften our views of others seeing them in their their full humanity if you like and that is definitely part of the how to forgive which we're going to come back to a little bit later anyway but i knew that this ultimately had to be looked at and my overwhelming intuition was to connect with my mum to do so but i just didn't know how exactly and I knew that having this conversation would be hurtful for her to have, but I kind of trusted my intuition on this one. So one day last year, during the pandemic, and when we were allowed to, I kind of left my family for a few days, which was a challenge at that time. It's quite a, a big challenge, actually. And I made a, a special trip 500 miles south to see her. And then the following morning, I got up quite early to meditate, which really helped to open me up um, and to allow inspiration to strike, if you like, just be really open to whatever was going to come. And it also suddenly kind of occurred to me that when sitting there, that I kind of had to let go of any agenda I had, you know, any any thoughts about tackling this or talking about this with my mum. The instinct was just to, you know, Ian, you just need to let this go right now. And... I wonder also is because of my last job. A lot of what I did was just sit there and let people talk and and really be and you know, really listen to them and really be guided by what they actually said, not what by why, sorry, not by what you kind of want. So I think that also helped in that moment too. Obviously, that's much easier when you are not speaking to your family with the, <laughs> the weight of history on you. You know all that all that history that, that, that comes with the, the, these relationships, these very close, complex relationships we have but fundamentally because of all the spiritual work i was able to do this and then somehow we just started talking very openly and very honestly about her relationship with her parents and her childhood and some of the stuff i knew but some of the stuff i didn't and we'd had conversations before but this felt very new and and uh, yeah, very new indeed actually and she ended up telling me things that she had never told others and it is i think probably it's one of if not the most moving moments of my life because i finally you know at 43 years of age saw my mother as another human being um, and and who she was made complete sense to me and how i was raised and who i was made complete sense to me and I felt this, the, uh, I, the greatest amount of compassion I have ever felt for anyone. And the idea of forgiving her became something almost ridiculous in that moment. It, it made absolutely no sense because there was nothing to forgive because, you know, she was who she was and it couldn't have been any other way. And I suddenly felt released from. What can only be yeah can only be described as this huge burden of disconnection is incredible.
0: Thank you for that. It's very moving, and I would say there's so much that leaps out from that, but I think more than anything it, it highlights the importance of working directly with specific issues, and when appropriately people we come across a lot, and I'm not invalidating this. The general sense of working with the shadow uh, and those things that live within it. And I think that very specific, very precise work is you achieve some fantastic rewards from that. But my other thoughts from that were, how did you know this was true forgiveness? I mean, I've seen and experienced the half-life of enthusiasm so often, and I think people can really suffer when they think they've moved past something with great emotion, huge resonance only for a later date to be pulled back by that bungee rope of unresolved mm. experience. How did you know resentment would not reappear once the initial suffusion of love had subsided?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and now we're sitting here a fundamental question. And I guess the first thing I want to say, you know, resentment never came back. You know, there's been no hint of it, no sense of it at all. None of that; those feelings have, have come back at all since that moment. They just seem to have been dissolved. Um, and secondly, the experience itself felt as if the compassion was burning through all of those feelings of resentment and anger and blame. It was as if, you know, the heat of compassion was was so intense that those feelings, you know, ultimately had no chance. It was like seeing an object just suddenly disappear, like you know, you watch something, you know, watch a magician or something in a film, things just suddenly disappear, and then in, they never return. And that's exactly what the experience was like for me. I felt it, in, in, you know, completely in my body, you know, everywhere I could, every, anywhere I could feel it. I felt it, you know, this complete disappearance of that, you know, and and afterwards. I also reflected on the process of my life up until that point. You know, there had been this growing awareness of the truth of what Jesus said when being crucified, you know, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. When the awakening wakes up, you start to see how we create our own suffering and the suffering of others and how unconscious we are of that, how our own fallibility and unconscious actions cause harm. I'm also a parent (laughs) so I know how difficult it is to raise children and I can only imagine what it must have been like for my mum and my dad to raise four children considering the experience that they have had you know because both my parents have had very difficult times you know and I think also linked to that is being in social work I, I really got to see how the past can so strongly intrude upon present functioning for people and how children, unwittingly, not knowingly, obviously, but how they can trigger old hurts and old pains and and patterns of interaction in us, which without some form of resolution, we kind of unfortunately then pass down to the next generation as that intergenerational pattern that that carries on. And I guess on top of that, I also recognize, and I think the experience with my mum really cemented this, is that I had developed a, a level of self-compassion and love and uh, inner security. I was able to see how my path had been exactly as it needed to be and that those adaptations I had made throughout my life had helped me to get where I am. It had put me on the spiritual path. But, you know, now they no longer serve me. And I truly question whether i would you know have been on this incredibly wondrous and pain filled path if you know hadn't experienced what i had and i don't know but that's certainly the meaning i've taken from it you know and this feeling of being an outsider for example it pushed me out of my hometown where i'm unsure i would have had such such rich experiences but ultimately it has come with a cost and that cost you know was loneliness at times it was disconnection and almost all of my life without feeling truly connected t- to my mum and and prior to that experience my compassion for her would definitely be limited and she would say to me such things as you know you're you're judging me which i very much did and that's that's a very clear sign of being separate from oneness but now that forgiveness has happened we have a, a closer relationship and i'm incredibly grateful for that and some of the pain associated with rejection has gone. You know, not all of it. And having been able to heal this aspect with my mum has opened me up to the process of, of really letting go of rejection. Um, but the aspect of rejection that was linked to my mum, I am no longer identified with. Or oh, I get caught up in. And back to the spiritual aspect of this, that lack of identification has removed another barrier to being fully present. Anyway, after all of that, does does some of that ring a bell with you?
0: <laughs> Indeed it does. So thanks again for that. That's some some fantastic exposition. It does ring a bell with me. It makes me think as the lineage that I associate most with forgiveness, and we'll come back to this later, is, is Buddhism. I know that obviously it's deep in Christianity and all the others as well, but it just makes me think what you were saying there of the Buddha's insistence that the ego is an in fact a a manifestation of an addictive quality and it gets me to thinking about brain science as well as the neurochemicals associated with righteous indignation have an addictive quality which is that is the addictive quality of your ego mm. i see people getting a hit from confirmation bias every day which means they perceive life or people in a certain way have certain grudges or resentments conscious or unconscious against individuals around them whether it's in the family the workplace in social gathering points when that's allowed. And they just filter out any information that doesn't agree with that confirmation bias. They just see what they wanna see. They react and they get that hit of righteous indignation. And I think to move on from Buddhism into Christianity, where Christianity is deeply wonderful is in its symbolism. And crucifixion is a very powerful symbolism for the death of the ego and all the crap that it holds onto. And we all know what happens after that. The big stone in front of the cave gets rolled away and you really meet yourself. This is all about a desire to truly meet yourself. And not forgiving can be a way of evading responsibility and not addressing. I think that rejection, that fear of connection, it's not addressing those connection issues. Mm -hmm. You have there given a clear example of how forgiving another has helped you on your path. But I think you wanted to say something about the differing harms that befall us
1: yeah yeah just briefly um and i've talked about one specific example with my mother and uh i've had you know an, a number of other experiences experiences sorry which have kind of needed letting go of some of which would certainly be viewed as more harmful some that have created uh, long-term feelings of, of deep anger uh, of resentment and self-doubt and not liking myself very much at all which have all been acted out in my behavior and I'm aware that many people have suffered some profoundly distressing experiences but I think one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves in relation to all aspects of forgiveness is how is holding on to or avoiding that experience helping us? I mean it it no doubt did on some level and maybe still does you know at the time or, or times of whatever occurred to us, our survival strategy may have kicked in. It's there to protect you. You know, if, if anger and resentment has kept you safe for many years, that seems completely legitimate to me. However, that adaptation, that defense mechanism may no longer be serving you. Those difficult feelings now have a cost. Long-term anger, for example, has a cost. You know, anger may have gotten you out of a situation or motivated you to succeed, but that anger can impact on all aspects of your life for decades, you know, easily triggering fight or flight at those times on reflection you wished it hadn't. And the cost ultimately is to be truly free. And forgiveness in this sense is one mechanism to do that. And it may well be that that changing the word forgiveness to the expression letting go is much more helpful for some people. Um, Tara Brack, for example, offers a few alternatives to the the word forgiveness. One example being, forgiving means letting go of the protective armour of blame and or hatred that encases your heart. Which for me very much speaks to the vulnerability and love necessary forgiveness, no, for forgiveness, sorry, with with true love at its center.
0: Indeed, and burying resentments has an adaptive quality. At the time you do it, you are creating safety for yourself. As you know, those learnings stay in there until you directly address them. They don't just dissolve without some deliberate and conscious action from yourself. And I would say that on a real mystical path, your awakened experience starts to pivot around implicit memory that no longer serves you it causes you conscious pain it's the imagery of block chakras and it gets very very difficult then you do something about it or you step away from the past, that's the classic, the quintessential fork in the road it's the red pill or the the turquoise pill anyway movie reference (laughs) nice
1: matrix reference sorry mate, nice matrix reference
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mate. Anyway. And you are called Mr. Anderson. Very true. So for true. those people who've watched the film, they get that. Very true. I do get called that a lot. Um, <laughs> Sorry, carry on. That's that's fine. So what about those other two aspects you mentioned? Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think the other two are closely related to, to each other and, and kind of almost the other side of the coin of forgiveness. I mean, all three call into question who and what you are. But these two seem to challenge this much more directly. Um, well, for me personally, anyway, I found these two became more painful the more my awareness deepened. But that I learned to trust the pain was a necessary part of the process and was ultimately the call to kind of turn around and really, really sit with this pain and what, was, and what my, my thoughts and my feelings were. And that pain mainly came from resistance. One of the aspects of the path that I don't find discussed much or maybe not emphasized as much when listening to teachers and teachings is that as your compassion and awareness grows and deepens, which we all want, you you start to see your own actions, both present and kind of historically, you know, as well as those of others in in a different light. And in relation to forgiveness of others, for example, it, it might be that you realize that what someone did to you was not your fault. And that's certainly something that young children often believe um, because they often enter into this thing called magical thinking. But that can be the most freeing realisation and one that profoundly changes your life. But there are the memories that arise where you have either directly or indirectly caused harm or hurt to others. And teachers and teachings don't often speak about this aspect But these are the two that have kind of kept me awake at night. And and there have been a few dark nights of the soul because of it. You know, when you more and more put yourself in the shoes of others and can get some sense of what it must have been like, the more painful it is that you either caused or were complicit in it, in that pain. And you feel it on a a deeply emotional level and, and often wish you could take it back or well, that it never happened, and that you truly recognise that what you were complicit in never actually happened, and you would never want it to happen again. But we don't often want to look at this; we want to avoid it, and often we want to cling what we cling to. Sorry, what we might call the um, positive aspects of our identity. And a good example for me or of me, sorry, a thought of this, is the image I used to have of myself as a good guy. You know, one that is sensitive, one that is caring, and one that is thoughtful, and that's what I was. And I suspect there are quite a few people out there who maybe have this image of themselves. But the more I opened to all of me, I realised that wasn't the whole truth. Yes, there's, there's a lot of truth to that, but it certainly wasn't the whole truth. And when I looked back at previous relationships, for example, romantic and friendships, you know, I've said and done things that I can see now were incredibly hurtful. And that has been very difficult to reconcile with who I am today. But, you know, you kind of have to stop lying to yourself. You have to see yourself naked and stop avoiding the full experience of what has come before, a bit like what you were saying a minute ago. And I'm not saying that you have to go back and look at everything in your life. Just what, just that when these aspects of history come up, don't avoid them as they are keeping you in conflict. You know, Just as when I have to look at what I've done to myself, there was a point where I had to really look at all the wasted opportunities in my life, all my inaction. I had to be honest about that and find the courage to really turn and look at it, to to be with it. Um, and, And this isn't about being perfect either. This is all about being completely where you are and what gets in the way of that. And I guess I would also say that turning and looking and taking full responsibility for your life right now is all we can really do anyway. We can't change what has happened, but we can take steps to change the influence on our lives presently and in the future. And obviously that doesn't just relate to forgiveness but you know all aspects of our being.
0: This relates to what I call the Clark Kent archetype and coming <laughs> to peace with the fact that basically anybody can be an arsehole and everyone can perceive their life as a waste. As Jesus said, why do you see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and miss the rail- railway spike in your own? What you are resisting is the acceptance of this. This is all about fully meeting yourself. Um, I can tell you this. When you see all of that, as just mentation. That's when you understand awakening as a falling away, not an attainment, a falling away of that chattering, self-critical, judgmental nonsense. Letting go is letting go of stories as much as anything else. When I'm coaching, which I do a lot. And as I'm, as I'm a coach, I hear a lot of different, what is sometimes described as outcomes, what are sometimes described as goals. Everyone wants the same thing. They want the inner voice to leave them alone, whether it's guilt, ambition, or whatever it might be. You can want to be a chief executive officer. You can want to be healthy. You can want to climb Everest. The reason you want it is because you, you want that silence in your being. You want that silence in your head.
1: Yeah. And yeah, and the bittersweet truth of that, Barnes, is that when you experience presence and now, when you let go of resistance you just mentioned – You realize that you never needed to go anywhere to silence that voice. And the simple pleasure of birdsong becomes an expression of the perfection of the moment anyway. And I've heard my favorite teacher say that all his teachings are about is really to enable you to be quiet. That's all they're about, you know, just to quieten the mind. And forgiveness leads to a quieting of that internal voice, of the resistance and of the
0: conflict. Indeed. And absolutely. But the thoughts in my head, and I think what we're trying to do a lot with this podcast, is we've talked about the what, we've talked about the why. I think people might be wondering how exactly. So what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, um, I've tried to um, give some of that through what I've just said. And I suspect most people listening have picked up that there, I guess, first needs to be a wish Um, or a recognition, or an intuition, or a strong body sense that you kind of need or want to forgive. But just because you know you need to, you may not want to, and you know, you can't force it. It's not the sort of thing you can ultimately make happen in that sense, if you like. And I don't think you should force it either. You have to be kind of prepared and ready and have the the courage to, to, to do that. But that knowing itself would have started the process. And once you've discovered this courage to look within, you know it's then got to go beyond the mental act of processing and letting go. It, it needs to be felt and experienced truly in your body, in your, in your soul, and the research into forgiveness, which there is a surprising amount and you know has accelerated recently, would back this up. People seem to first make a mental commitment to forgiveness and see that it would ultimately be beneficial. And they process it in that way, but then can take a long time for this to truly become an emotional emotional letting go. For me, there's there's kind of been three aspects. I'm going to brief, quickly go through these. There are three aspects that have kind of been fundamental to my forgiveness process. And these have been compassion, support of others, and deep self-inquiry. Hopefully I've conveyed the importance of compassion in this episode, and I would certainly recommend the work of Tara Brack, Christine Neff, and Jack Foot Cornfield for, for those who are who are interested, but please go and look at their work. Um, the support of others helps to bring Further compassion and insight. For example, I went to fortnightly psychotherapy sessions for about a year, which really helped to detangle and it certainly contributed to the forgiveness process. And you know, and, and when I have conversations with you and I have conversations with other people as well, that helps me to make sense and detangle and have compassion for myself and others also. But for me at least, the most truly transformative aspect of the process is asking ourselves questions when held with compassion and those questions that we don't want to ask but that are necessary for forgiveness so for example in relation to what others have done to you it might be is is holding on to what happened serving you does it continue to help you or much more fundamentally who or what would you be If you let go of the pain that has been driving you, of those adaptations you have made in your life that appear to no longer work. And similarly, in relation to what you have done to others or yourself, it might well be what would that mean if that did happen? If you did actually cause that type of pain, who or what would you be if you were to accept the possibility of that? And I think those questions around. Who and what we are are fundamentally, what are the fundamental questions to ask and are the most difficult questions to ask also. And lastly, the thing is, you start to realise that the fear of the answers to those questions is often way worse than what the answer to those questions could possibly be.
0: That is very, very true. Um, I agree with everything that you've said there. Uh, true forgiveness cannot be achieved with thought or cognitive insight alone. You're absolutely right. It can start with that, but true forgiveness is an embodied, somatic, felt sense. It needs to be experiential and emotional. And your example is just shows that so so clearly. The aspect of self that needs to forgive that holds on to hidden narratives. Um, and sits within implicit memory is not, autobiogra- is not autobiographical. It's sensory, emotive, and usually unconscious. So we're not talking about a timeline of events, which is explicit or autobiographical memory. We're talking about implicit memory, which are those hidden negative beliefs, those sensory responses. The good news is that the brain isn't hardwired. It's live wired and deep and old wiring, even deep and old wounds can be changed not just managed and not just attempts made to override them up until about 15 years ago it was axiomatic within brain science and therefore clinical practice that emotional learning was forever and the aim of behavioral change was to create and reinforce new learnings to compete with and hopefully suppress the old ones until as we alluded to earlier The bungee rope kicks in, and they reappear again, and all of a sudden, it's like smack into that figurative brick wall. Your parents start criticising you, and you have a hissy fit, or you're going into a big sulk. It's your classic fight, flight, or freeze to recall the previous episode and what you said earlier. It's now understood... A
1: big, sorry, a big big sulk as a... um as an adult, it's not necessarily the best looking thing. No,
0: it's not a good look on anybody, let alone- It's not the most adult response. Let, let alone when you're in your 40s. Um, let alone, let alone. The great news is, is it's now understood and accepted that old implicit learnings can be erased totally through a process called memory reconsolidation. And we will, we're will. we gonna do later episodes that look very, very closely at some of this stuff, but it's, it's, it's very pertinent for forgiveness. This is where we insert the word hallelujah and we let it play on a loop in our head for a little while. And I love the way that I'd been researching this and it dovetailed so beautifully with your story. It's important, it's vitally important to access the deep emotional learnings consciously, feeling it, but also understanding the hidden narrative around the learning. It's not just about you feeling the rejection or feeling the resentment for the rejection that you feel. It's about what what is the narrative around the learning. That awakens the synapses, which are the little electrical charges in your brain where you hold memory, in the older parts of the brain where this learning resides. When you access them in that way, when you identify them and you live them experientially, they're live. And when they're live, you can then replace them. And I'm talking erasure and replacement here, not suppression. And the way that you do that is by creating What scientifically is either called a juxtaposition or a prediction error, which essentially means an experience that is juxtaposed with that initial or original learning. which is exactly what you did with your mum. Your compassion was juxtaposed so strongly with your earlier negative experience that your emotional wiring literally changed forever. The old resentment was gone for good. I think the key point behind that is if you don't add in the positive experience, you can awaken those old synapses by living that experience. uh, And after a short period of time, they will just solidify and harden back as they were again, which is why so many well-meaning attempts to forgive, to heal, to change, to move on are ineffective. And that learning, even if you experience... A wonderful reconciliation with somebody just comes back as a later date. But in your case, and I think in more and more people's cases, as these principles are applied, compassion changed you. The act of true forgiveness rewires your brain and changes you as a person. It's the actual resolution of karma.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had goosebumps, mate, when you were saying that. I had goosebumps because it's such an incredibly important message that that, that, that conveys that, Neuroscience is evidence in that you know we can science scientifically. Sorry, that we can change these things very much. You know, the the brain isn't static; it's it's very very plastic. I know there's a new expression now for brain plasticity, but it's it's very malleable, um, and we can very much change 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 who we are. Um, And as you say, that experience very much taught me that. Um, But it's great to have neuroscience back that up and show us that in a very very clear way. And I think what what you're referring to though is quite new neuroscience. It's, it's quite cutting edge, actually. It's not um, it's you know, 10, 15 years ago I think you had kind of referenced that things are quite different, or not quite different, they were different, but this is this is quite new stuff, so maybe quite new for some people to hear. Um so I'm just conscious that we're we'll kind of coming to the end of the episode. Uh, and I just wanted to make a few points that I think are important and not always obvious when talking about forgiveness or, you know, that people may hear when it is discussed. And firstly, forgiveness is is not condoning. That's not what we're saying. You know, if there are acts that need justice, then justice needs to be sought. And, and research would suggest that this would be, would be necessary for some people before true forgiveness can actually take place. Um, secondly forgiveness does not mean you continue to allow acts of harm and abuse to continue to be perpetrated towards you if you have the power to stop it and it doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation with the person who is the cause of that harm although reconciliation will be a part of the process for many and also the process of forgiveness is an internal one and you don't have to tell the person that harmed you that you have forgiven them In some circumstances, doing so may actually suggest to that person it is okay to continue if they haven't gone through the process of truly understanding the harm they have caused. Forgiveness does not mean you can then continue acts of harm and abuse towards others. When you truly recognize the need for forgiveness for yourself, you will also equally know emotionally the harm you have caused others And that compassion must be present for true forgiveness to be present. And lastly, true forgiveness needs to come from a place where true love and compassion for yourself and others has really, truly begun to flower. I can't emphasize that enough. And as you were speaking, there was just one other thing that that cropped up in my mind, which was, I just want to highlight that whilst it was necessary for me to be physically present with my mum for true forgiveness to take place, that doesn't mean it is necessary for all close relationships. It wasn't for me and my dad, for example. And I just wouldn't want people to think that that's what they need to do or that's what we're saying at
0: all. No, and I think it's a very, very, very valid and pertinent point to end on because a lot of the experiences that I've had of forgiveness that have been like you very real, very pertinent, very effective have been solely with engaging with the feelings and the thoughts internally and not necessarily having the conversation with the, with the personal people involved. So it's a good point, which brings me on, I think, as we edge towards the end of this episode to what is a good place to sum up. What strikes me again is just how much this chimes with Buddhism, which I have criticized before on this podcast and I started in Buddhism, but the thing that maybe made me come back to it was it links wisdom so directly with compassion. And I remember when I first read that, it seemed a bit speculative to me. And it took this level of understanding and forgiveness to see how experientially true that is. It's The wisdom enables you to Forgive with compassion that, and they effectively drives your awakening process, and the two are interlinked and dependent on each other. And I think mm-hmm. that lineage makes that point so clearly. Um, in effect, in true forgiveness, the compassion you show for others heals you.
1: Which yeah, I think. Sorry, sorry, mate. sorry. I was going to
0: say. I was just going to say. Which brings me to, I think, more or less the end of the episode. So, would you like to tell our listeners what's coming next
1: yeah yeah i all i was going to say is i think that 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 um wisdom that growth of wisdom and compassion I, I finally understood what they said what they say when i first got into buddhism which was skillful means i think what, what do you mean by skillful means what is that what is it even is that but now i'm kind of understanding that this is what they I mean by skillful means yeah so our next episode Um, we're going to be talking about Abraham Maslow and that's uh, the title is going to be called The Hierarchy of Needs, Security, Love and Transcendence and that episode has been very much inspired by a book that both Barnes and I have read um, and we're excited about talking about that one I think very excited very much so cool, okay (laughs) well thank you uh, everyone for listening thanks Ian, thanks everyone Thanks for listening. Please check the podcast episode descriptor for a list of some of our references today. Also, please get in contact and let us know what you thought of the episode or to join the discussion. You can do so through our Facebook page, just search for Practical Transcendence and ask to join. You can do so through Twitter, just search for Practical Transcendence or our username at P underscore transcendence. Alternatively, Contact us on our email, admin at practicaltranscendence.com.